Good to be back with you this afternoon. Grateful for the presence of each one, that you were able to be here, that you chose to be here. And uh, grateful for the opportunity to share with you from God's Word. Uh, I hope that you will be able to profit from, from my study of God's Word. I'm grateful for the uh, assignments as they uh, were revealing to me. And I probably feel... Uh, even less so adequate to talk about this afternoon's subject than I did uh, this morning uh, when we talk about excellence in parenting. Um, I could fill you with knowledge of personal experience of what not to do as a parent. <laughs> I could tell you a lot of things, uh, that uh, ways that I've messed up, and I, I don't really know uh, that the list of uh, success or uh, worthy role model would be very long. But as I began to think about these things and study them from the Scripture, I began to realize that there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from parents in the Bible. And so this afternoon, I hope that uh, you'll benefit from the, the study as we look at some of these parents in the Bible and uh, we consider... Uh, The, the job that they did and some of the results that we see from that or maybe the commendations that they received from the Lord and take some lessons and, and make some application to that as we examine uh, our own parenting and uh, strive to grow in that area, strive to be able to help others in that area, maybe that are new parents or young parents. I remember when I was a boy, uh, I mentioned this morning that my dad was a fireman. Um, he was also a mechanic. Um, he wasn't in the church uh, when I was a young man. Um, but I remember I was talking over lunch to Michael about one of my most vivid childhood memories that involved a, a key and a, a wall outlet. And I had a very vivid childhood memory of that, that incident. And one that was just a few years down the road, uh, my dad had built a, a race car engine for a 1969 Super Sport Camaro. And it, he had finished it, and he was tuning it and test driving it. And as, as the last little measures before he dropped that vehicle off to its owner, he come by and he picked me up and he said, Son, let's go for a ride in this car. And I got in that car, and we drove down this farm-to-market road out in the middle of the Texas Panhandle, just flat as a board. And I just remember there was trees on both sides of the road, and I was pulled back in that seat. And the trees were blurry. We were, we were going so fast down that road. And we come back to the house and pulled in the driveway. And he popped the hood to, to examine it and to do his final checks. And he closed the hood and he wiped his fingerprints off of it. And uh, he looked at it with a great deal of satisfaction because this was a machine, a, a muscle car, uh, as it should be. It was functioning and running as it should be. And it was... A thing of beauty, if, if you will, in, in the car lover's eyes. And, and for someone who was uh, you know, a mechanic and, and to be able to, to build that, all the pieces of that engine and to put it in and to see it function and perform that way was a great deal of satisfaction. And when we turn to the book of Job, I think we see that sort of satisfaction from God the Father as He looks at Job. God looks at Job... And he says, if you will, here's a man like I intended a man to be. 
This is how a man ought to function. And let's read a little bit about that in Job chapter 1, uh, verse number 1. I've got the English Standard Version up there. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and to hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And when I thought about excellence in parenting, one of the first Bible characters that I thought of was Job. Because of what God says about him in this chapter, because God looks at him and says, here is a man that's upright. Here's a man that's complete. Here's a man that fears me and he turns away from evil and he lives the way that a man should live. And in our first introduction to him, besides his great wealth that he had accumulated, we see that what he did was pray continually for his children. He loved his children. He, he was concerned about his children. And we talk about teaching our children to pray and praying with him. But Job prayed for them continually, even as they were evidently what we might call adults or young adults. He, his heart was toward his children. If you turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and we were introduced to John the Baptist and his birth and... Um, In verse number 17 of Luke 1, it says, He shall go before him, or John shall go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, John was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I believe that that you can see from the evidence that Job was one of the patriarchs, that he, he lived or existed in that patriarchal age, I believe. And... His heart was directed toward his children. And as John the Baptist comes along, one of his tasks or mission to prepare people that's ready for the Lord is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And so that's that's where they ought to be. Fathers ought to be concerned about their children to the extent that they pray for them like Job prayed for his children. And so I would say this afternoon, if you want to be an excellent parent... Be a, the kind of parent that Job was. That you care about your children's spiritual well-being as much as Job cared about his children's spiritual well-being. And pray for them accordingly. <clears throat> I think of some other parents in the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we are introduced to Lois and Eunice. Paul writes to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy 1.5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And so we look at Timothy and we see someone who the Apostle Paul has chosen from a young age and groomed him to do the work of an evangelist. He's taken him with him in his ministry and he's trained him and instructed him and he's writing uh, him these letters uh, instructing him to do the work of an evangelist. And he calls back to remembrance 
This sincere faith that these two women had. Timothy's mother and his grandmother. And I want you to think about Timothy's mother's faith. Her sincere faith. And his grandmother's faith. Her sincere faith. And the impact and the influence that that had down the road when we think about excellence in parenting. And I want to consider what we learn in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we pick up in verse 1, it says, Then came he to Deborah and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but her father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Well, Timothy, I guess we could derive from this passage that his father wasn't a Christian. That he wasn't a, well, a Jew. He wasn't a follower of God, if you will. He didn't know God, if you will, the way that the Jews would have known God. And so, one of the things we see is a parenting challenge there, no doubt, for Eunice and for uh, the grandmother, Lois, if, if she was on the scene at, at that point in time, whatever the case might have been. But this challenge or this struggle that is one that's, that's a real challenge and a common problem today, where maybe the uh, parents aren't on the same page religiously. I want you to look at how this particular instance ended. I think we can take a lesson in excellence in parenting from this passage of Scripture. I called to my remembrance having doing a study with a young mother who was discouraged because she felt like that as a Christian, she told me, she said, well, you get to go around and you get to preach God's Word and you study the Bible people and, and you're able to uh, baptize people and teach them the Gospel and all these things. And, and I, I feel discouraged because I'm just here and I'm changing diapers and I'm making bottles and I'm cleaning house. And I, and I thought, how, how do I explain this? I wish I had a better grasp of, of, of this passage at that time that I talked to her, how important that this task is. This task of being a mother. Of raising a child. Of the lasting and, and reaching impact that that could have. You know, that child could be, if you will, this next Timothy. This next evangelist that, that's doing the, the important kind of work that needs to be done. On the other hand, that child could be the next Diotrephes or Hymenaeus or Alexander or one of these names we see in the Scripture in a very negative light. That's a very important job. Be a parent. It's huge. And mothers, though you'll see from the study this afternoon, I don't have as many mothers in the study. One of the reasons is I talked with Rusty and about some of his subject material and I'm trying to stay... Uh, off of some of the texts that he's going to use. And so we'll look at more fathers today, but don't misunderstand that. When we talk about excellence in parenting, we're talking about fathers and mothers and the importance of the things that we do and the impact that that's going to have on our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, however long the Lord decides that this earth continues to go on as we know it. 
I would not be a Christian myself if it wasn't for a sincere faith that I saw in my mother and in my grandmother. And my mother and my grandmother faced the same challenges that Timothy's mother and grandmother faced. At the time, my father didn't have a concern for Christianity or living in a Christian way or honoring God with his life. Don't let that discourage. Don't let the influence of the unfaithful be the influence that wins that battle. Lois and Eunice didn't do that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 14. The Scripture says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know, Timothy's mom and his grandma, they did not drop the ball when it came to teaching him the Holy Scriptures. I don't know if his grandmother had personal involvement in that or if it was the fact that she taught her daughter and her daughter taught his son, whatever the case might be. Timothy knew the Scriptures. And that goes back to what we talked about this morning. Making wise decisions is going to start with knowing and understanding God's Word. And being an excellent parent is going to start with teaching your children from a child, from their youth, very early on, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make them wise unto salvation through faith that's in Christ Jesus. And so I think we see an example of excellence in parenting and grandparenting in Lois and Eunice. As we learn and we seek out excellence in parenting, there's a lot of negative examples that we can learn from in the Scripture. And I believe our next case study is one of those. <clears throat> we are introduced to Eli in 1 Samuel 2, verse number 22. It says, Now Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and said unto them, Why do ye, do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. You know, <clears throat> rules need consequences. Parents need to back up talk with action. There needs to be discipline implemented and exercised. And evidently what we get from Eli is that he talked tough, but he didn't follow that through with some sort of action or consequence that was needed for this. When we look at that, I think he's saying the right things. He's rebuking this wickedness. But as we learn more of the picture, we see God displeased with his parenting. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse number 29 Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. God says you honor your children above me. 
and points that out of one of Eli's, as one of Eli's parenting failures. You know, it's easy to see in the world around us people that are willing to lift their children up and to teach them, if you will, by implication. I don't think they would necessarily teach them directly or expressly that the world revolves around them. But by implication and by the way they act, they treat children like the world is theirs to conquer and to rule and it's there to serve them and to meet all of their needs. And that's kind of the idea you see here with the way Eli's sons are acting that, hey, everybody else really doesn't matter. It's about us doing what we want to do and we've been in this position where we're able to do it. And Eli talked a big game, but he didn't do much with it. Chapter 3, verse number 13. He says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. He should have done something, evidently, that he didn't do. I don't know what the proper course of action was. I don't know exactly what the protocol would have been to discipline, to remove them, to execute them if capital punishment was in order whatever the case might have been under the law we could look and study those things out and come to a determination of what what God's law would have prescribed for their punishment but in this passage God points to Eli and says you didn't hold them back you didn't restrain them as a parent you should have done something and you didn't. Don't fail to act. Don't fail to discipline. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 if you have a Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Let's start reading in verse number 5. He says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof we are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Children need discipline. God recognizes that we as His children need His discipline and His correction. And He disciplines us and He corrects us in love for our benefit. <clears throat> Don't fail your children by failing to discipline them, by failing to have consequences for actions, by failing to back up talk with action. It's one thing to say the right thing, and it's another thing to take action that may be necessary to restrain our children, to discipline them, to correct. And God looked at Eli in this instance 
And he called him out for his failure to do that. As we strive for excellence in parenting, let, it, let that not be one of our failures to fail to discipline. Another individual that we are introduced to in the Scripture is Jonadab. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 10, in the context, there's a man named Jehu, and he's going about... Pardon me. He's going about to wipe out Ahab for his wickedness. It's evil. And so, he is going about to just execute, to destroy all those uh, that are His servants, all those that are uh, serving false gods. And he runs into this individual named Jonadab. That's where we pick up in verse number 15. It says, And when he was departed thence, he lighted upon Jonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thy heart right, as my heart is with thy heart? And Jonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thy hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up into his chariot. And he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria, till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord. Thank you, sir. Which he spake to Elijah. Now, I picked up this context of our introduction here to Jonadab because of what we read about him a little bit later or in another place in the Scripture. But I believe this is kind of some of the backstory that we need to understand and work towards as we strive for excellence in parenting. This individual is pointed to in the Scripture as, I believe, as an excellent parent. And I believe one of the things that made him that was what we read about here in this passage, that he was willing to take a stand against evil and get up and put himself at risk and get into fight against evil and against God's enemies. And I believe that's one of the reasons that he had the reputation that he had that is what we're going to notice in our next points here. But if you remember from this, this morning's study, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. And I believe that he had both of those things. I believe he had a good reputation and loving favor of his descendants. And I believe one of the reasons he did that is because he was a person that uh, took a stand against evil. And so keep that in mind as we pick up reading in the next passage. In Jeremiah 35, verse number 6, It says, But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all the days, all your days, you shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land wherein ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have wine, have we, excuse me, neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed. But he hath dwelt, we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, 
commanded us. I believe as a father and grandfather or great-grandfather or however you want to look at it, Jonadab required respect. And I wrestled with how to word that and how to uh, think about this, to demand respect. You know, I'm not talking about demanding respect verbally and saying, you respect me. I demand your respect. I'm talking about living the kind of life that people can't help but respect you. I get the sense that that's the kind of life that Jonah and Dad lived. Because his children and his grandchildren looked back to what he told him and how he instructed him and said, we, that's what he told us to do and we did it. And you don't typically get that sort of response from somebody who's not respected. That's why a good name is so important. That's why that reputation that we talked about this morning is so important. That's why your character and your integrity matter so much. Because they look back to the command of their father and their grandfather and they said, this is how he told us to live and that's how we're going to live. And we're not going to break his commandment or his requirement or how he told us to live for you. Because you've set this wine before us and, and we're not going to, to just throw that aside lightly. We see that because of the kind of person that he was, he had a lasting impact. If you pick up in verse number 12, it says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts to the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my word, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed, for unto this day they drink none. But obey their father's commandment, notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. God turns and he points to Jonadab and he says, I gave a command and you won't listen to me, but his children will listen to him. And so he used Jonadab's example to rebuke the children of Israel. He gave a commandment, his children listened to him. They kept it. They respected him and they honored him. And you won't respect me. You won't do my will. And so we can learn this lesson from Jonadab that to <clears throat> strive for excellence in parenting, again, is something that's going to have a generation, uh, an impact that's impossible for us to fathom the extent of. We won't live, likely won't live to see the results. But they matter. They continue to have an impact as they're passed down from generation to generation. Jeremiah 35, let's pick up now in verse number 18. <clears throat> it says, And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want or lack a man to stand before me forever. He lived in a way that was a blessing to his descendants. They were blessed because of him, and their descendants were blessed because of, of their obedience to their father, because what was God's covenant with Israel? Honor your father and your mother. And his children honored him. 
And they were blessed for that. And their descendants were blessed for that. And so, as we strive for excellence in parenting, be the kind of parent, strive to be the kind of parent that's going to be a blessing to your children's children and their children by the example, by the the footprint, if you will, that you leave when you leave this earth and this life. Be a kind of person that takes their stand against evil and has respect and reverence among those that are the very closest to them. Abraham. And when we're pointing to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, we see the Scripture says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. See, God, again, he looks at Abraham and he says, I know Abraham. And I know that he'll command his children. And that they will obey him and keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Do what's right. Abraham, I believe, taught his children to have courage and to do what's right. And he, God said, I know, Abraham, that He'll command His children. And a lot of fathers today, I think, have the idea that the, the most you can do is make suggestions to your children. Try to guide them. That's, that's not what our Heavenly Father's done. He's given us commandments. And when I, our Heavenly Father looked at Abraham, He said, I know him, that He'll command His children. And they'll keep justice and judgment. Well, commanding is the easy part, isn't it? Again, it goes back to that kind of example, the kind of person, the kind of individual that you are. Do you Are you respected enough that those children will honor that and follow that way? I believe Abraham was... I believe if we we're just going to point to one scripture to try to describe that and for time's sake uh, point to what that fact was... I would go to Romans 4, verse number 18. It says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was yet an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I believe the reason that Abraham was able to command his children, and the reason that they obeyed and followed that, as God said, I know that's what he's going to do, I know that that's what's going to happen, is because he was strong in faith. Because they respected him. Because when God called him to go out, he went out. He didn't know where he was going. But he was confident and convicted to follow God. He didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. He wasn't the kind of individual that come home in the evening and said, well, I just don't know if God's going to keep His promise. Did he make mistakes? Yes, he did, as all parents will. But the story of his life 
was one that embraced the promise of God. He was confident and convicted of those. And he believed God. What he promised, he was able also to perform. We see that in the way that he lived and his life and his actions. And so as we strive for excellence in parenting, we can follow that example and show confidence and conviction in God's promises that we might have the respect of our children and our grandchildren. The example of David, we'll look at that for a minute. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse number 5. The Bible says, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it, so David prepared abundantly before his death. <clears throat> David wanted to build a house for God, <clears throat> and God told him that he wasn't going to. So he didn't get what he wanted. But he didn't give up on this goal, this vision that he had for God, for the kingdom, if you will. For our purposes, the church. He shared with his son this vision that he had, this desire that he had, this dream, if you will, for God's house. And he said, he's young. So I'm going to take... And I'm going to make preparation for this. I can't build it because God told me that's not my task. But what I can do is I can share this vision with him. He said this house, he described it, he said it must be exceeding magnificent. And so I ask you as we strive for excellence in parenting, what sort of vision for the church do you share with your children? As an exceeding, it's this is... This is a house for the Lord, if you will, the Lord's house, a house of God. What sort of vision do you have for it, and what sort of vision do you share with your children about? David shared with Solomon this vision that he had. <clears throat> Verse number 18 of First uh, Chronicles 29, it says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep my keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. Again, we see the example of prayer for your children. David's praying for Solomon that he might have a whole heart or a complete heart to do all of God's will and to finish this building of this uh temple that he desired to build for the Lord. And so, help our children prepare to make meet spiritual goals and to accomplish spiritual goals. We realize that they're going to have to become adults. They're going to have to do things on their own. But we could be lazy as parents. So we pointed to and we talked about wisdom this morning and just go, well, they're just going to have to figure that all out on their own. And that's what David could have done. He could have said, well, that's Solomon's job to build that temple. But he made preparation to help him succeed in accomplishing his spiritual goals. I think as striving for excellence as parents, that's something that we can look to and learn uh, from that example. Pick up in verse number 9, or First Chronicles 28, verse number 9. It says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, 
and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all the hearts and, the understa- and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek Him, He will be found of thee. But if thou forsake Him, He'll cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the palace of the mercy seat and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord and of all the chambers round about and of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things also for the courts of the priests and the Levites, courses of the priests and the Levites and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of the service in the house of the Lord. I believe David also encouraged his son. And we talk about exhortation and the idea of drawing one to your side, and he tells him, God's chosen you to do this, son. Be strong and do it. Do the work that God has you to do. Here's what you need. Here's the plans. They're from God. Get busy and do this. And I believe that's uh, something that David shows us that we can take and uh, learn from. I think sometimes as a parent I look back and I, I realize that I'm pretty willing to deal out correction and perhaps punishment for a violation of the rules And maybe a great weakness of mine is failing to be the kind of encouragement that you need to be at times. And I believe David shows us that in Solomon when he draws him to his side, if you will, and says, God's chosen you. He's got work for you to do. Be strong and do it. And so we see that example in David. 1 Chronicles 29, 13 through 16 says, Now therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days are on the earth as a shadow and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thy holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thy own. I believe David was a pattern of humility. An example of humility for Solomon. And we see that in the words of this prayer. He says, who am I? He talks about all the stuff that got stockpiled as he prepared to help Solomon succeed in this spiritual goal. All of the things that got stockpiled to do that. And he itemizes those things out and there's just all kinds of of materials and precious stones and metals to do that. And he wraps that up with the prayer again. And he says, and we know that everything that we gave you was already yours. It came from your hand. And who are we to offer so willingly after this sword? And so he shows the heart of humility and patterns that for Solomon. And I think that's a valuable lesson that we can learn as parents is that through our actions and our words and our prayers and our interactions as we go day to day, we can show humility and trust and reliance in God And that's going to have a very lasting impact. First Chronicles 28, verse number 5. I want to notice a verse there. 
It says, And all of my sons, as David speaking, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. When we look at some of David's other sons, we could look to him and go, Well, you know, I want to present this guy as the, the perfect father. And so we look at the flip side of the coin, if you will. And I understand that at some point children become adults and they make their own decisions. And A parent can be a good parent and a child can go about and become an adult and get overwent, wrapped up and overcome in sin. And, and that doesn't ne- that's not necessarily a reflection of, of a parent's failure. But one of the things we see is a lot of turmoil and these sons of David, these other sons of David, from uh, rape to uh, mutiny, if you will, in an attempt to overthrow, to uh, a usurping of Solomon's authority. And as I considered those things and how to bring those into the study and incorporate those as we think about excellence in parenting... I wonder with all of those sons that he had, I don't remember if we get a specific count in any given place in the Scripture or not, but of all these many sons that he had, how could he possibly have had time to spend with them all? And I don't think that's necessarily a problem uh, specific to you and I today because we don't have the number of wives and the number of children. But I think with just four children that I have, I find it difficult to find Time, individual time to spend with them all. As a parent, don't be an absentee parent. Don't buy into this idea that you can go work 100 hours a week and that's being a good parent, providing for your children's needs. Because they need stuff besides stylish shoes and clothes. They need you to be involved in their life. They need you to answer hard questions that they have. Seriously. And sincerely, and, and, and understand that they, they need those answers. Whatever the, those questions might be, they need you to be present in their lives. And I look at how, however many children David had, there were many, and obviously I don't think he could have accomplished that. And I think you see the results of some of that and the turmoil that he had in his house and his other areas. So as we strive for excellence in parenting, You've got to make time for that. There, there's no excuse. Don't fail in that area and don't buy in to this this lie, this this false idea that you can spend all your time and bury yourself in work and, and be a good parent without spending the time and, and giving the time to your children that they need. We have instructions in the Scripture given to all fathers. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, verse number 4, it says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so, as fathers, as parents in general, there's, that again, that responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Another, don't, don't provoke them to anger. Don't provoke them to wrath. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I know, being around 
13, coming up on 14 years ago, I guess won't be that long, when I got Levi put in my arms at the hospital. And I know how much my worldview changed. And from the time, for you go down the road a little ways to Cole, and from the time that I had a baby in each arm coming out of the delivery room, how those children change your worldview and your perspective. And that you love your children. There's a danger in there that comes in loving them more than you love God and vice versa. And if I look back at maybe a father like Eli, I'd probably try and give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he really loved them boys and he wanted what was best for them. But maybe he put that love for them over his love for God. I think that's kind of indicates what we see there in that, that instance of that, that parenting failure. It's going to be difficult. And I hate to even think or to consider about a time when I may have to choose God over my children. Or God forbid that some the day might come that my children would have to choose God over me. But I hope that they would do that. I hope that I would teach them that that's more important. And I hope that I would raise them to understand that should that time come, that they fully know my purpose and my manner of life. And should I be forced to make such a choice that I would honor God and make the right choice. We need to love our children. Our hearts need to be toward our children. But never to the point that they take priority over God in our lives and honoring Him and His Word and what He desires for us. And so there's some very difficult choices and decisions that we have to make. We we could go on and look at various other examples and uh, wrap up and kind of review some of these ideas that we noticed. We noticed some positive examples from Job. He taught us that we should pray frequently for our children. And Job was the guy that God looked at from heaven and said, this is a man like a man should be. And he prayed for his children. He modeled uh, sincere faith. Uh, I think we see that in uh, the uh, Lois and Eunice. says that Paul points back to them and he says it was in them. That unfeigned, that sincere faith was in them. And that model was there for Timothy to take and go with. They taught him, mother and grandmother, they taught him God's Word early in his life. Uh, Jonadab, he took a stand against evil, and that was critical to the kind of reputation he had that had the lasting influence and impact that it did. He was a kind of man that required respect. And you know, you've met people like that. You just, you, you just had some respect for them because the way they lived, who they were. And that was how he was. He established an example that endured, it was abiding, and it was a blessing to his descendants. Abraham... I believe taught his children how to be courageous. How to hope against hope, if you will. You know, I, I get to reading about Abraham and I had this tendency to think of him as this old man with this staff wandering through the desert to this 
But then you read some stories about Abraham. That guy was a warrior. He was a soldier. He did what needed to be done at times. And at other times, he acted like a coward sometimes. He failed. But the story of his life was that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God. Let that be the story of our life. Like David, let's share with our children a vision of a glorious church. Focus on the negative of the church all the time and the the human element there that's not quite what it should be. Or instead, focus on the divine element. It'll always be what it should be and is what it should be. And it's the institution of God and and a vision for its growth and and the things that aren't as they should be. Let's be diligent to try to get them as they should be and work hard to do that. We can share that kind of vision and help them prepare to do their part in reaching that goal. That we draw them to our side and encourage them to be the kind of people that God's chosen them to be. Scripture says we're a chosen generation. Royal priesthood. And let's encourage our children to do that. Let's model humility for our children. And let's not fail to discipline. Let's not be all talk and no action. Eli was. Don't let them think that the world revolves around them. Don't teach them that by default, by implication. Don't let them rule the roost, if you will. It's not their place. It's not their job. And that's failure in parenting to do that. Don't let the unfaithful win. Sometimes we have challenges and family members who don't serve the Lord and have no interest in it at all. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that be your excuse to say, well, you know, I wanted to teach them the Bible, but my spouse just thought other things were more important. You find time and you find a way to teach them the Holy Scriptures. That's what Eunice and Lois did. Don't be an absentee parent. Don't make excuses. Don't hide behind work. Don't hide behind anything else. Be there for the things that your children really, genuinely, truly need. The time of instruction and encouragement and love and discipline and all of those things that they truly need. You need to make time and be there for that. Don't provoke them to anger. And don't love them more than you love God. The lesson's yours this afternoon, and I hope that you'll be able to take and draw some points from that and that you'll be able to become a better parent. I know that the study has been profitable for me. I hope that it will be for you. I hope that you'll consider the great importance of parenting and that you'll do what you can to have the kind of impact and influence that you need to have, that you're a blessing to your children and your children's children and their children and so on and so forth. Never like to close service without offering an invitation. If you're here this afternoon and you're subject to the gospel call, if you have a spiritual need of any sort, please let that be known and we'll assist you. We're here to serve one another in love. If you'll come forward, have a seat on one of those front pews while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected for invitation.